Love, I'm proud to be their pasta. All right, let's pray one more time. Uh, we get back into God's word, all right? Father, we pray, Lord, that we would really understand what it means to have your Holy Spirit empowering us and dwelling us. Be with us now. Speak through your Holy Spirit, through your Spirit-empowered word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, once again, we are wanting to be disciples of Jesus Christ in a post-Christian world. Yeah, we're still going there. And we live in a therapeutic age. I don't think it, it's surprising to any of us that nowadays everything is about the self. There was a time in the modern age where the institution would influence the thinking of communities and societies. Schools and institutions would shape large-scale people's thinking and their worldview. Government, popular literature, the news media, on all different fronts, these institutions at one time used to, to be the primary way where common thought and common life was shaped. But nowadays with social media and with so many voices out there, it is no surprise that we are in a, an age of expressive individualism. That is a term used in the world of philosophy and theology, expressive individualism. But I'm afraid that with all the messages calling us to find ourselves within ourselves or to express yourself from within or to be yourself, to be who you are, to go on that journey to discover yourself apart from objective truth, apart from some external objective truth shaping your journey, that I'm afraid that expressive individualism has led us into a world of depressive individualism. Let me say that again. Any amens? <laughs> That expressive individualism has led us instead to a world where we are over-anxious, we are depressed, mental illness is at an all-time high, we are in a stage of depressive individualism. That emotional disorders, and we are not making light of it, but it is all too common. Anxiety, mental illness, depression. You see, apart from God, when we try to find ourselves... We enter into a matrix of chaos. The reason is because God did make us as spiritual beings. God did create us as emotional beings. You, not, you cannot separate your mental capacities from your feelings and your thoughts. We are complete people, and that also impacts our physical being. You see, when we're mentally not well, when our hearts are not well, it impacts us physically. We have physical stress. The entire body is connected, and that's how God created us. We are, in essence, spiritual beings created by God, made to be filled and directed by God. But because of the fall of man, once everybody begins to search there was a time where they could go to the church. They could go to the schools. They go into common accepted literature. They listen to their families. They listen to their larger families. And so because we are lost within, there was a time where these institutions externally would guide individuals on their journey. But now that institutions are being canceled and are, are seen as oppressive and wrong, everything goes back to the individual, and every man is a lone ranger, every woman a lone rangerette on their own journey trying to search for themselves, and it's no wonder that expressive individualism has led to depressive individualism. And it's no wonder that God says there's an answer for this, that I will not only send you commands from the outside, I will not only send you institutions in instituting the Mosaic Law, but I will send you myself First, in the form of my son, Jesus Christ, in the Gospels, four Gospels showing us Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God, God incarnate, come to reveal himself to us in human flesh. And then he says, when my son leaves, I will send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not be an external force. He can work externally. He is invisible. He's omnipresent. He cannot be contained. He cannot be contained by philosophy. He cannot be contained, but he will be within you. He will be contained in a different sense. He will dwell in you. I've entitled our message today, The Indwelling Spirit. 
God comes to be with us, and God comes to dwell with us, the indwelling spirit. Today we find ourselves in continuing our study through John's gospel. We are in John 14, if you want to go there, John 14, verses 15 to 26, where Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. He refers to the Spirit, starting in verse uh, 15 and 16, as the helper in verse 16, but he tells you specifically in verse 26 that this helper is not the hamburger helper, it is the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to see three ways that the Spirit works within our hearts. Three ways, and and again, if you don't have the Holy Spirit and His Word, expressive individualism will lead to a depressive individualism. So there are three ways that the Spirit works within our hearts. And so first, we're going to see the first way in verses 15 to 16. And so point number one, the first way that we see is the empowering work of the Spirit. The empowering work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will empower us to obey Jesus' commands, but the obedience in view here, again, is not like the Old Testament. This is not brute external obedience. This is an obedience that flows out of our love for Christ. So in verse 15, we see the condition of genuine Christians. If you love Christ, what is your condition? What's the condition of your heart this morning? I'm sad, I'm happy. What is your condition? If you're a Christian, you do have a condition, and it is that you will love Christ. That's the condition. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit will produce a love for Christ that will result supernaturally in obedience. We need God's help to obey, and Jesus promises us us a helper. Notice verse 15. Notice it says, this is not an imperative in the Greek. This is what we call a subjunctive. It is a condition. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But you got to read it this way. If you love him, you will naturally keep his commandments because Jesus, in telling us to keep his commandments, does not give us a command. Think about that. In telling us to obey him, he doesn't give us an imperative. He gives us a condition of the heart because it happens inside of you. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love someone, you'll listen to them. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another, meaning not Jesus himself, and not God the Father, but a helper, capital H, to be with you, not just temporarily, forever. Forever. The Holy Spirit will come and dwell in you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know that it is impossible for anyone to obey my commands, at least according to God's standards, which is perfection, perfect obedience. So he's saying, I will give you a helper who will live in you forever. Now, I want you to notice now that Jesus, in the rest of the passage, Jesus repeats variations of the statement, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Three times he says this, one time in the negative. So three times he says it, in, if you will love me, you will keep my commandments, and one, one time in the negative, four times total. And so Jesus is basically interchanging, keeping his commandments and keeping his word. And I want you to notice, I, I put it for you on the screen. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's uh, subjunctive. And then verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. That's not in the subjunctive, but it's basically saying whoever has my commandments, whoever has my word and keeps them, that's the person who loves me. Verse 23, once again, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, so that's a subjunctive, if anyone loves me, the condition, he will keep my word, repetitive. Then verse 24, in the negative, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Very clear. The genuine Christian will keep my word. How? Through the Holy Spirit. The person who is not a believer will not keep my words. Four statements, none of them imperative. Four statements, none of them commands. Jesus does give us commands. See, what are you thinking when he says, obey my word, my commandments? How many of you guys are thinking of the Ten Commandments? Raise your hand. Anybody thinking of the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments is a good thing, right? Jesus came to fulfill the law. How many of you guys are thinking of brute commandments. There are commandments that Jesus gives us, love 
your neighbor, love God. But what are the nearest commands in John 14 and 15? Think about it. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Let me show you on the screen. Let not your hearts be troubled is in the Greek imperative. Fear not. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe me. Believe in my works. Those are commands in John 14. And then in John 15, verse 4, he commands us, remain in me. Abide in me. You see, if you love me, you will trust me. If you love me, you won't be afraid of the world. You'll know that I'm with you. If you love me, you'll believe that God is my Father, and I am in God, and he is in me. If you love me, you will believe in me. If you love me, you'll believe in my works, Jesus says. If you love me, you'll remain with me. If you, you love me, you'll abide in me. It is supernatural, but it is natural. If you love someone, you'll listen to them, you'll trust them, you'll want to be with them, you'll want to remain with them, you won't leave them. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll obey these commands, and there's other commands. But oftentimes, we miss this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And you're, we're thinking of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus is saying something that makes much more sense. Oftentimes, our wives, our wives, men, I'm, some of you better listeners than me, our wives will be like, if, if you really love me, you would have listened to me. Or, or, or we try to solve a problem, and they're like, well, you didn't listen to what I just told you. And we're trying to solve a problem from like three weeks ago, but she's like, I just told you. I just told you, right? Think about Jesus' disciples. So if Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, they're thinking back to the Old Testament. He's like, no, just listen to what I just told you a minute ago in chapter 14. If you love me, listen to what, I'm just, what I just told you. Believe in me. I think we can, we can get with this. If you love Christ, you trust him. If you love Christ, you'll remain in him. And those are just some of the commandments. You see, loving Christ is not the same as obeying Christ. Do you get that? You can obey someone out of fear. You can obey someone out of fear of consequence or to avoid a consequence. You can obey someone because you'll get something in return. But when you love someone, you'll obey them in a different sense. You'll want to please them. You will desire to keep their word. You'll want to honor them. You'll want to be with them. Loving Christ is different from obeying Christ, but loving Christ is what fuels true obedience. You see, Jeremiah 31, it spoke of a time where God said one day he would write his law within the hearts of God's people, which means the law would no longer just simply be an external set of rules, but God would place the law of the Lord within the heart of the believer where the believer would love the law of God because the law of God has become part of his heart because that's how God works. He sends his spirit into our hearts so that we would obey. Today, we can obey God because Jesus Christ changes our hearts. How does he change our hearts? Through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, verse 16, we talked about the word helper, the word helper. So you can look along uh, in your, your Bibles. I'll flip back a slide for you. Verse 16, it talks about the helper, right? This word helper in the Greek, it literally refers to coming alongside to help. Literally, it means one who is called in. Not someone who's already there, but one who is called in to offer help. And that fits the Holy Spirit. He's called by Jesus Christ to come into us. He comes from heaven into our hearts. Helper also communicates that of a comforter, an exhorter, an intercessor, an encourager, an advocate. There are some of your Bible translations that refer to the Holy Spirit as the advocate in John 14. It carries the meaning of an advocate, a defense attorney, a defense attorney. The Greeks 
During New Testament times, they used the word for helper to refer to one who was called in as a witness in the court of law. So if you want someone to testify for you and to advocate for you in court, you, that person would be your helper. They would come in to plead the cause uh, of, of your cause or the cause of a person who's being charged with a crime. This is, think of a defense attorney, but a good one. Okay? The, the Greeks also used the word helper to refer to someone who's called in to give advice or counsel for a difficult decision. Biblical counselors, you are helpers. But this is the divine helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greeks also use this word to refer to someone who would be called in to give a pep talk to a group of soldiers who are disheartened and discouraged. And that is to put the Holy Spirit, he puts courage into the minds and hearts of Jesus' people. Right? And so that's the role of the Holy Spirit, the helper. The Holy Spirit is called in by the Son of God into the hearts of believers uh, to help us. The Holy Spirit, in other words, supplies us with God's power so that we can live for God. Jesus' disciples, he knew that Jesus' disciples, they would literally be facing a post-Christ world. Christ would be gone. Right? And so they would be persecuted, they would face trials and challenges, but Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit to encourage them. I want you to think upon these words from the popular hymn, How Firm a Foundation. And if you know this hymn, How Firm a Foundation? I love hymns. I especially love the modern hymns. And How Firm a Foundation Here's what the, the lyrics say. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. The, the soul, the true self in God, the soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. The hymn writers put in their Shakespeare on, but inspired by Christian thinking and theology. Was it Martin Lloyd-Jones who said hymns, hymns are Something on fire, I forget it. I, just, I remember a MacArthur sermon from 20 years ago. Someone just sent me the quote later. But, but hymns are something like theology on fire. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that hymns are like theology on fire. It's not just like the praise chorus that you repeat 100 million times <laughs> until you faint. <laughs> no wonder they think they've been slain by the Spirit. It's really dehydration. <laughs> but this is what Jesus... <laughs> I know I just got myself canceled, but I never subscribed. <laughs> That's the great thing about being old. You've been canceled. I never subscribed to political correctness. But I subscribe to love. But this is what Jesus means in verse 18 when he says he will not leave his disciples as orphans. I will never, no, never, no, never forsake. I will not leave you as orphans. You are my children. I will send you the Holy Spirit. In fact, the end of verse 16, it says, the helper will be with you forever, right? Forever. He will never forsake. Even when you feel like you're in the spiritual dungeons, even though you think because of persecution, even our brothers and sisters in Muslim countries who are in prison, who are thinking Jesus has left me, somehow, someway, the Holy Spirit's going to supply a special type of strength that you and I might not need, and so God doesn't supply that type of strength. He sends in the, the Spirit of God to allow them to endure the specific trial that he's called them to. And he will supply for you and me the type of strength and fortitude we need to think mentally and emotionally through the cultural tides that we find ourselves in, that he will not allow us to be drowned by the cultural tides and waters and waves of society. You've already been baptized. You've already been immersed. You've been baptized under a different type of water, and then you've also been baptized in the Holy Spirit as a believer. He leads you through. And this leads us to the second way the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. Not only does the Holy Spirit empower us 
to obey Christ and to remain in Christ. But the Holy Spirit actually reveals Christ to us. Point number two is the revelatory work of the Spirit. The revelatory work of the Spirit. And we see this now in verses 17 to 24. But first, verses 17 and 19. Now there are two things as, as we read this text that I want you to pay attention to. Two things that, that we see. First, the Holy Spirit will live in our hearts. Second, the Holy Spirit will reveal Christ to us from within. So the two go together. So if you see it repeated in verses 17 24, is first is that the Holy Spirit is indwelling. He lives within us. He's not outside of us. And secondly, the Holy Spirit will, what is he doing inside of you? He reveals God to you. Okay? Now let's look at the text. Let me first read you verses 17 to 19. It says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You can't see him. You know, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. He'll be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, because God is our father. We've been adopted as children. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while... And the world will see me no more because he will be crucified, resurrected. Eventually he'll ascend. But you will see me because I live, referring to his resurrection, you also will live spiritually. So in verse 17, what we see is the Holy Spirit, he reveals the truth in our hearts. The Holy Spirit, he enables us to understand his inspired word. The Holy Spirit is known as the spirit of truth because all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and the scripture is our source of truth. So he inspired the word of God. He inspired every single word of scripture. And so he's the one who lives in us. He's the one that helps us understand the scriptures. He will witness to us about Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us. The Holy Spirit assures us that faith, that our faith is indeed accurate. Now again, I don't want to be overly dogmatic. Can the Spirit speak to you today in ways where you feel like he's convicting you to do something? I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't limit the Holy Spirit to the Holy, I just feel led by the Holy Spirit to go to church today. Well, the Bible tells you to gather, so you can say, okay, that's a good feeling, but how can you be sure that the Spirit is leading you to do something or say something? The only way you can be certain, the only way that's sure proof is His Spirit-inspired Word. If what you say, if what you think is actually written in here, and, and what you feel and think is an application of what is clearly contained, then you can say, God said it. It's not just my inkling. It's not just a, an intuition. It is the Word of God. And that's why you cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the Word. You, you cannot separate spirit and truth. Truth apart from the spirit is dead knowledge. There's so many religious professors who know the Bible much better than most of us, but they don't believe in it. There's no fire. There's no fire. You guys love food. It's hamburger without the helper. Or helper, you know, it's, it's hamburger without the meat or it's helper. You guys know what that is? You guys are, are too young. Hamburger helper is an American staple. Some type of carb, stick with me on this. Some type of carb, right, with a hamburger in it, or hamburger meat. It's good. Try it. It's like pasta, rice, you know, cheeseburger, and they put it together. I'll say this. Some ultra-Pentecostal churches, they got the helper. They think they got the helper, the Holy Spirit. They got no meat. They got no hamburger, so it's not hamburger helper, it's just helper. It's just helper. It's not good, right? So, so they're saying, oh, I, I feel this in the spirit, I feel this in the spirit, I feel this in the spirit, and they do all kinds of things that are not in the word of God. So they say, we got the helper. They got no meat, but the word of God refers to the Bible as what, solid food, right? And so you got these then super, super conservative Baptist churches like us Got too much hamburger, no helper. Got too much meat, no spirit. You got knowledge, no fire. You see, I got to tell you that. If I say spirit and truth next week, hey, what did I talk about? We don't remember. If I said this, John Piper, right? He says, the Holy Spirit is the fuel. <laughs> 
He is the fuel that empowers the truth. Most of you guys forget about that. Most of you guys forget about that. But if I tell you, what did I talk about last week? Oh, you can't have the hamburger without the helper. All of you will remember 10 years from now. Oh, remember when he talked about hamburger helper? You got to have the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Hamburger helper. Say it with me. Hamburger helper. Church that loves food. Hamburger helper. You cannot have the hamburger without the helper. You cannot have the helper without the hamburger. You need the food, the meat of God's word, and you need the Holy Spirit. I know it's corny. It's the only way you will remember what we say. Amen. The Holy Spirit, he reveals truth to us. Now, John 16, 13. I want you to see this. Okay? Look at, look at what it says in John 16, 13. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Not just your favorite passages of the Bible. Some of you are like, the Bible, these certain passages are so hard. He will guide you into understanding it to the ability that you need to understand it. And he will guide you into all truth, not just the Bible, but the application of the Bible. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit is our internal guide. So that's what I mean. You know, the world's telling you, find yourself. The Holy Spirit says, here's your Bible. Here's your Bible. Find yourself. And you're like, I can't find myself in here because the Bible is telling you to die to yourself. Right? You look at the Bible, you find Christ, you find God. You realize that you're small. And then, and then the Bible begins to rebuild you. It begins to build you up in who? Christ. It gives you your identity in Christ. Right? So if you try to find yourself apart from the Bible, if you try to find yourself apart from the Holy Spirit, you will be lost. Emotionally, it will be a matrix of chaos, like I mentioned. You see, human knowledge does not save souls. Emotional, emotional thinking and mantras don't save souls. Mystical exercises don't save souls. The Holy Spirit is the person who saves souls. He does. He's, he empowers the regenerating work. And part of his empowering is allowing you to see God's word as the word of God and not as the word of religious teachers. Notice what Paul says. Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, the natural person, I thought we're all natural, right? So the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly, that word is foolish, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Let me give you one piece of application. We've been talking about a post-Christian world. When you try to take the Bible and shove it down the throats of people who don't have the spirit, they can't understand it. You've got to be loving. Even many of us who grew up in the church, having heard all the Bible stories, did not actually believe these stories to be true until the Holy Spirit transformed us and changed us. Right, so we do need the Bible, but sometimes we have to be careful in terms of how we use that sword. You see, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him because he's not able to understand them. Because the only way you're going to discern the Word of God is through spiritually discerning through the Holy Spirit. Now you go back into our passage. Do I have it for you? You go back into our passage and you realize in verses 20 to 24 it says in that day you will know that I'm in the Father and you in me and I in you you see the indwelling verse 21 whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by the Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him manifest just means reveal I will reveal myself to that person and Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, so this is Jesus' other disciple, not the betrayer, right? But Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us? How are you going to show yourself to us? How are you going to reveal yourself to us and not to the rest of the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Everything's coming together, right? Everything's coming together. Jesus Christ is not going to reveal himself to the entire world. 
The entire world might hear preaching about Jesus, but they're not going to believe because the Holy Spirit has not come into their hearts. Well, Jesus is saying, you got to obey me, right? Remain in me. How do you remain in him? It's because he remains in you. Because the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you, and then that enables you to remain in him. It's all coming together. So in verse 21, if you notice that Jesus represents his father, and Jesus is the only way to the father. So if you love Christ, you'll be loved by the father. And you'll realize Jesus is the son of God. Verse 22, what we read, Jesus Christ does not reveal himself again to the entire world. This should empower your witness. Don't feel rejected when the world doesn't believe in what you believe. A common conversation that I often have when people call me to talk to their friends, and when I was in youth ministry, I, got, I had these conversations a lot more because uh, kids around 17 and 18 are more wanting to have these conversations. And often they would say, can you prove to me Christianity apart from the Bible? And I would say to them this, I said, well, if you want Hanley's version of Christianity, I can do that. But if you're wanting to argue against true Christianity, it's a loving conversation we're having, Boba, you know, if you want to talk about historic Christianity, because that's the Christianity you don't believe in, right? Yes. If you're saying traditional Christianity, then, then all of history believes that Christianity is defined by a certain source, the Bible. So if I am going to present Christianity to you apart from the Bible, if you take away my Bible, you've taken away everything that I got. Then we can just agree to disagree that, look, I respect you, you respect me, but my faith is grounded on the Word of God. It's on the Word of God that I stand. You take away the Word, I have no foundation, I collapse. Right? So, so, so I don't even let them go into apologetics. If they really want to talk about science and evolution and all that, uh, I just tell them I, I didn't pass those classes. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, you know, we can talk about that. We can talk about all that stuff. And we'll talk about the historicity of resurrection, but I always come back down to the authoritative source. And I say, hey, if, you, if, if we just talk about Christianity, there's so many false versions of it, it's all subjective. Brothers and sisters, when someone says, I cannot receive Christianity, unless you argue it apart from the Bible, that person does not have the Holy Spirit. So of course, they're not going to want the Spirit's word. That's part of it. So, so in my heart, there's a lot of compassion. You see, because it's the Holy Spirit that causes you to want his word because he inspired it. He inspired it. So he's the one that's working in the heart of the unbeliever, converting the unbeliever who never believed in the word of God to look at the Bible and not look at it just as ancient religious literature, but to look at it as the word of God, right? That's what the spirit of God does. And this leads us then to our third way. The third way the spirit works, point number three, is the illuminating work of the spirit. So the revelatory work of the spirit is that Jesus reveals himself to our hearts through, the, through his word, right? Through the Holy Spirit. But illumination is teaching. How do you understand? How do you discern these words? These words are difficult. These words are spiritually inspired. So now we see the illuminating work of the Spirit. Notice verses 25 and 26. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. Jesus is with his disciples. He's literally their rabbi, their master, teaching them. But in verse 26, he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Right? Jesus, how are we going to remember all the things that you taught us? How are we going to remember your miracles? And when we die, and we've taught it to our children, but how can we guarantee that our children are going to get that message right? And how do we know that our grandchildren are going to get that message right? And how do we know that our great-grandchildren are going to get that message right? You ever play telephone in youth group or camp, right, where you start with the message, green eggs and ham. By the time you get down there, it's like, I got too much email spam. You know, like, right? You just pass it one to another, and you lose the message. That's why Jesus did not show up in a video. He did not show up in a picture. All right, he doesn't, you know, leave a video for you where it can be hacked. You know, he doesn't leave audio tape. He doesn't draw you a picture. All those things are great ways to communicate. Some of y'all think it's boring. He wrote it down. He wrote it down. Why is it that a contract is not video? 
Why is it the contract is not, take a picture, remember. That might be Friday, the movie, take a picture, remember it. Right? But that is not some of y'all like, that, those are my unsaved days, okay? You don't know about Friday. So, you're laughing, he's laughing over there because he knows about Smokey and Ice Cube. But, <laughs> sanctified. But look, John, John tells us right, very clearly that he will remind you, is that the Bible? You might think it's boring, but there's a reason why contracts are written and signed. There's a, way, there's a reason why you say, hey, make it official, sign it. Marriage document, it's a document. It's a document. Your mortgage, that's a document. Your car, you buy it, it's a document. Why? That's the only way it's incorruptible. You can't mess with it. You can change it, but there's going to be a million other people that say, hey, that's not what it said for the last thousands of years. You changed it. And so that's why he gave us the word of God written down, inspired it, so that not only the disciples, but the, the, but the subsequent generations would know. And so he will teach you all things through scripture. He will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you that's written down in scripture. In scripture. It's not a picture. It's not a video. It is the word of God. And so don't be so quick to sell your written Bibles just because you have Bible on, Bibles on your phones. Keep it. Keep it. All right? If we ever reach, I'm not a conspiracy, I'm not a conspiracy theorist person at all, but if one day you can't download your Bible on your phone, you better pull it out. You better pull it out. If the Bible is no longer printed, like go to certain countries where they're not allowed to have one, you better pull it out. You better have said, oh, I'm glad I didn't toss mine away to the recycle bin. You better keep it. Now, I want you to think of your own life. Think of your own life. There are many times where, you know, that voice of the Spirit starts talking to you. Some of you call it conscience. I call it con-science. It's telling me that even though God, you know, science and God, and it's hard to reconcile the two, that my conscience, right? God is over the science. God doesn't contradict science. God made science. But that's just a joke for some of you who struggle, right, with apologetics. But my conscience, my conscience starts talking like you shouldn't have gotten angry. That's a prideful thought. Hey, you kind of lashed out at your kids. Hey, you need to say sorry to your wife. You need to ask for your forgiveness. Hey, you were mean to your staff this week. Or, or, or remember what you read from the Bible this morning? Remember that? You need to apply it. You need to live it. You, that's not your inner voice speaking. That's the Holy Spirit. The problem is we all have emotional and mental blind spots. There are times where we won't recognize our own pride. And we will say, well, yeah, God's telling me to do this. That's why God's telling me I'm right. No, no, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in and says, no, that's not what God told you. Go look back at the Word of God. Is that what the Word of God says? Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It is not your own interpretation that determined the Word of God. It is not man's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, you see everything that you need here, right? You see that Scripture, the Word of God, is not just now the Holy Spirit. The church age has been launched. It's not just the Spirit. The Spirit, Jesus has promised, and in the book of Acts, the Spirit came. The Spirit dwells in per the people, but now the Scriptures have come alive, and now there's the Scriptures, and, and the Scriptures are not based on our own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men. But when people spoke, and it was recorded in Scripture, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand, carried along. We believe in the apostles' teaching, and we believe that this was the truth passed down. Here's why we need institutions. Here's why you cannot just have, well, you know, the church has flaws and sins. Amen. The church has spiritual abuse. Amen. The church has false teachers. Amen. The church has pastors who abuse their authority and committed sin. Amen. 
But the church is not built on the foundation of fallible man. The church is built on the perfect foundation of Jesus Christ, our rock. And the church is built on the word of God. The perfect, perfect, pure word of God. That is the foundation of the church. And it just so happens that from the beginning of the early church all the way till now, like I mentioned, there is the institution of the church that has said this is the proper interpretation of God's word. And so there's a little differences, right? You open up any theology book and there's view number one, view number two. But those two views don't teach heresy. So there are places in the scripture where we're like, okay, there's various interpretations. We call these secondary or tertiary doctrines. But when it comes to the primary doctrines of what it means, what you need to believe to be a Christian, the word of God is not confusing. And the word of God does not whisper about what is sin and what is not sin. The word of God is crystal clear and loud. And it tells us very clearly what God's will is, and it's agreed upon generally the consensus of church history. And that's why you cannot cancel church history and you cannot cancel the institution of the church. We are in an anti-institutional age where you deconstruct institutions and everything goes down to the ground, where you need to empower the priesthood of all believers, yes, but the priesthood of all believers need to gather in institutions called the church. And the church, once the church loses the word of God, that's when the church goes liberal and corrupt. So the church has its foundation on the word of God. And what the word of God does is that when the word of God is preached, you have hundreds of you here. And most of you are going to walk out of here. You have different challenges, different applications. But if I say something that is heretical, I'm not talking about my, my, my dumb jokes, okay? I'm talking about when the word of God, when I show you a passage, the spirit should tell you that is not the right interpretation. Or the spirit tells you what Hanley said, that's not his word, that's God's word. And so you walk out of here, not with Hanley's words, but that was the word of God. And so then you go home and something called conviction happens. And you read your Bible, you're like, man, I can try to twist it around, but this is clearly what the word of God says. And then you go to sleep at night and you can't sleep until you change. That's how the spirit works. He lives in you. The, the, the spirit of God takes his word in your heart and forces you to change. Because you get convicted that that's not man's word. That's not the pastor's opinion. You say, that is the word of God. And the word for change, the fancy word of change is what, brothers and sisters? Someone say it. People don't like this word. Transformation, that's nice. That is a good one. But what is it? It starts with an R. Repent. People don't like that, right? Repentance. Oh, I'm going to another church. I'm going to another church where the pastor tells me a story. Repentance simply means change. So the way that you repent is conviction. Y'all know this. If you don't think your car's broken, you're not taking it to the mechanic. If you don't think you are broken, you will not take yourselves for a fixin'. If you don't think you are broke inside, you will not search for a solution. You're not going to pick up a book. You're not going to ask your small group leaders or your group leaders. You're not going to ask your spouse. You're not going to talk to your friends. You're not going to want to change. That's the nature of sin. It blinds you to that very sin. And so you need the Spirit of God and the Word of God, an external source, using, which is the Bible, using the internal source, which is the change agent in you, to convict you that there's something wrong with you and me, which is our sin, and that we need to repent. And when the Spirit works, repentance becomes sweet, because repentance becomes the way of life. It's not only, it's not only the right way, it is the good way, it is the wisest way, it leads to life. So, whether it's in a form of a sermon, or you're reading a book, or you're watching a video about Christ in the Word of God, or listening to a podcast applying the Word of God, or you're having a conversation with someone about Christian theology in the Bible, when the Spirit of God helps you understand His Word, something happens to your conscience, it speaks to you, these words are true, the interpretation is accurate, you need to change, and brothers and sisters, that's how people change. Not by simply attending church, not by simply joining a group, not by attending a five-week class or six-week class, not by running into the mountains to discover yourself apart from your Bible. You might feel better, but you got no truth, okay? You change when you open your Bible in front of you and the Holy Spirit says, yeah, yeah, that, that thing, 
That word right there, that's for you. That thing right there in that verse, verse, verse 10, that one right there. That, what does verse 10 say? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. These are his words. Have you read it? Have you opened it up? Wipe off that dust, brothers and sisters. Get it out from under the coffee table. Open it up. Get into it. Because that's the only way you're going to change with Bible in hand and Holy Spirit in heart. The big idea this morning is that God sends the indwelling spirit for the empowerment, revelation, and illumination needed to live for Christ. God sends the indwelling spirit for the empowerment, revelation, and illumination needed to live for Christ. He empowers our obedience and our abiding. He reveals himself to us through the spirit, and he illumines, he teaches us everything we need to live for Christ. Short application to close. In recent weeks, we've been talking once again about the challenge of living for Christ in a post-Christian world. And related to John 14, there are four ways that the Spirit of God helps us to live according to the commands in John 14 and 15. The first is hope. You know, we live in a world where we shouldn't go around gloom and doom, but the world is not showing you hope. We, we might have a recession coming. There's always the threat of war. There's always, well, there's war right now in Eastern Europe, but there's always the threat of war in Asia. There's always a rise in crime. There's always stress. The world's never been easy. Jesus has never said the world is easy. And people are struggling, yes, with anxiety. We'll talk about that next week when we talk about the peace of God in the next passage. But the church needs to have the message of hope, hope in Christ. And so Jesus gave us the command, believe in God, believe also in me. The Spirit helps us place our hope in Christ. If the world needs hope, we as believers have the only saving message of hope, the greatest message of hope. It's within us. So we have to show a post-Christian world what they're missing. We have to show a post-Christian world that we have hope that flows inside and out of us that points people to Christ. And that means, and I'm preaching to myself because I often can get real negative. I don't think I'm a pessimistic person. I think over, after 20 years of ministry, I became a realistic person. I became a realistic person. <laughs> people, you know, preach the truth. People outside of the church won't like you that much. People inside the church won't like you that much. You know, it's, it's, it's a realistic world that, that you live in. So, but I have to constantly look to the Bible every day and say, Hanley, have hope. Are you living with hope? How can you go and tell your people to live for Christ when you are not living with hope? How many of you need more hope? Do, I don't show my children every day I'm filled with hope. I show them that I, I don't have enough time. <laughs> it's like, calm down. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to finish my sermon. <laughs> are we showing people that we're filled with hope? Or are we showing them that we're Christian, but Christ is not sufficient for us? We need more. And the world will give you more. The world will give you more. Right? But we don't need what the world offers. We need Christ. The second is humility. You notice how divisive the world is, I am afraid of the next election cycle. How ev evangelicalism is just going to keep fighting. And you guys know I'm just speaking of reality. This is reality. I'm not even saying let's take a side. I'm saying just go on a podcast. And you'll see that evangelical Christians are divided. Not everyone, but the loudest voices are the ones on both sides. It's always that way. The people who are just stuck on discipleship, focused on the mission, and caring about the word of God, nobody hears them because they're not loud enough. They don't get as many views. They don't get as many listens. Nobody cares about the people who are just trying to be faithful. It's the people who are extreme on the right or left that come to the top of your feed because they're the loudest. And so when the non-Christian world sees Christianity, they don't see John's gospel. They don't see the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. No, no, that's not what they see. They see, oh, Christians, they're the people who fight with each other and they can't get along, right? And so we need to show the world humility. And this even shows how we ask. He says, he commands us, ask, 
Ask anything in the context of the Great Commission. Ask anything in the context of gospel work. Ask. Don't think you can do it on your own. That already puts you in a posture of humility. God, how do I even understand this world? Help me to live for you. Help me to be a Christian in a post-Christian world. Help me to be salt and light. Ask. Humility. Hope and humility. And the third one is love. Jesus calls us to love him. Remain in his love. Remain in him. The Spirit helps us to remain in Christ, remain in his love. The world will never love true Christians. They will not because the true message of Christianity, once again, it makes everyone mad. Right? You go to the south, to the Bible Belt, and you tell them, hey, you got the right truth, but you need to be more loving because we're called to reach people that you would quote-unquote call liberal so if you're not sharing the gospel with them, who's going to? And they're going to be like, oh, you compromiser. So the conservative people will hate you. But you go to the north, and you go into like New York or Boston, where they're totally post-Christian, and you try to love them, and you try to preach Christ, and they're like, nah, 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 that's unliving. And so if you're truly trying to live for Christ, conservatives will hate you, liberals will hate you. Nobody's going to love you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a hopeful guy. So, but that's why Jesus says, nah, he doesn't say remain in the world's love. He said, remain in my love. You need the love of Christ. The Spirit helps us to remain in Christ and his love. The world will not love true Christians, but we can still be loving. How? When, when, when you are able to experience the love of Christ, and then that love flows out into the world. Courage. And this goes without saying. So hope, humility, love, courage. Jesus gives the command, right? Let not your hearts be troubled. Fear not. Trust in him. We need the spirit to give us courage. Let not your hearts be troubled. Fear not. This, the Holy Spirit needs to give us courage for the post-Christian world. So instead of showing the world an evangelicalism that is political, that is fragmented, that is angry, that is scared, that is retreating, that's not gathering again, that is running from God, that is becoming worldly, that is all those things, we need to show the world, a church, a true evangelicalism that proclaims the hope of Christ, the humility of Christ, the love of Christ, with the courage of Christ. Let me say it one more time. The hope of Christ. Show the world the hope of Christ with the humility of Christ. Maybe I shouldn't scream. Show them the hope of Christ with the humility of Christ. The humility of Christ. Show them the love of Christ with the courage of Christ. I know I've been preaching long but I can die any moment, right? Seriously, I'm over 40. I, I hurt myself in my sleep. I sprained my ankle sleeping. When I'm 50, I'll be wiser. I won't have as much energy to lead you guys this way and to lead our team. The time for us is now. So every sermon, I'm going as if I'm going to die, Okay? I know some of you guys, that's too crazy. Calm down. I can eat in and out in heaven. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, once again, let's be a church to show the world the hope of Christ with the humility of Christ, with the love of Christ, but with courage. Let's be courageous together. Let's pray. Father, give us courage. Give us your courage through the Spirit, not to compromise, but also to be compassionate. Help us really to experience your love and to go forward with your love. Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that you give us humility, true humility, and give us hope. We need hope. Give us the hope of Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.